Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This is the OKest Hunter Podcast. Never pass on shooter bucks, because that's just meat in the freezer. It's your tag, you hunt how you want. This is OKest Hunter. This week's episode is a little bit different. I'll describe that in a minute. But before we get started with all of the intros and the content and everything else, uh, shout out to our presenting sponsor, Spartan Forge. Head on over to SpartanForge.ai. Use code OHP for 25% off their new app for mobile devices drops on September 15th. You're going to want to check it out. We talked a lot about their feature set on our episode from uh, August 31st. So if you want to learn more, that's a good one to listen to. We also had Bill Thompson himself on not that long ago and then a year before that. And he might be on at the end of September again too. So, you know, check that stuff out. You would be remiss if you didn't as a deer hunter. It's uh, one of the most powerful hunting applications I think that exists out there. Uh, Additionally, check out our friends at Go Wild. Uh, Greg and I have been chatting about gear and hunting tips with others on Go Wild. It's a pretty interesting platform because it's not like Instagram. Your stuff isn't going to be censored. You can post a pic of you shooting your gun, uh, a picture of just your gun, shooting your bow, some of the, you know, gripping grins and things of that nature. And it's not going to get throttled like it does on other platforms throughout social media. So it is a free social media community for hunters specifically. And it's uh, it's just really kind of a fun place to chat with other folks that are in the space. So you can find tips and you can see how other people have outfitted their hunt with gear through this thing that they have called Gearbox. And you can even like literally click and buy right from the app. So join me and Greg and a whole bunch of, uh, what, hundreds of thousands of other hunters on Go Wild. The download link is in our show notes. So uh, just, you know, if you find it there, great. Look us up. You can find me, Eric Clark, and uh, Greg Tubbs on there. And uh, go ahead and give us a like and a follow, and we'll be happy to chat with you more there. So this week's episode is really uh, different because I am out, so we're not doing a live broadcast. Uh, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, hopefully Monday, uh, my wife and I had our, our baby. I'm pre-recording some of this stuff ahead of time, and uh, it'll launch on, on Tuesday of next week. So, well, I guess it's Tuesday of the week you're listening to it, which is, I don't even know what the date, oh yeah, it'll be the 7th. Um, so the day after Labor Day. Hopefully everyone had a great Labor Day. There we go. So, we have... Four different personalities we're going to hear from on today's episode. It's Zach Fahrenbaugh, Johnny Stewart, Jake Bush, and Mark Kenyon. And last year on the Where to Hunt podcast, I had an episodic called Tactic Talk where I talked to various people um, throughout the beginning of early season 
I think we did 20 episodes, 15 minutes each, different folks that I thought were really uh, getting it done, putting mature whitetails down. And, uh, you know, we tried to map it to the season as best we could. So I compiled these four, uh, you know, hunting personalities, if you will, that all spoke to different ways to getting it done on early season deer. So on this first one with Zach Farrenbaugh with the hunting public, we hear about his success over two seasons during early bow season. So this wasn't just pure luck. It was something that he charted over two seasons and done had done. And he nudged bucks with his scent, bumped them, and then came back the very same day or the next day and like killed them. So let's hear what he has to say about that. And then we'll get into the others as well. So I got Zach Farrenbaugh here with the hunting public to talk about early season strategy and our tactic talk, uh, tactical talk of the day today. Zach, thanks for doing this with me. Uh, yeah. Let's just get into it, man. How are you uh, having success early season bow hunting? Well, when you first brought it up, first thing that came to my mind was like, and, and something that's kind of off the wall, maybe make people think about something a little bit different than what they typically hear is um, just bumping bucks kind of on purpose. I wouldn't say, maybe I would say that it is on purpose, but you're essentially doing the bump and dump tactic. And I kind of fell into learning how to do it in my own way. Um, I'd heard about it, but I kind of fell into it on accident. There's a couple specific hunts that stick out to me from Nebraska. Nebraska's got an early opener, but both the bucks, so September 1st, both the bucks that I have shot in Nebraska with a bow have been bumped prior to me going in to that area and shooting them and essentially shooting them right where I bumped them. Um, One of them literally in the exact bed that I bumped him from. Um, So 2017 was the first year that I went out there, and I was out there with Jake and Brody. Um, Brody was, Brody's originally from Nebraska, so he had a tag. I was planning on going back and hunting a lot later in the season, and I had a tag and was just planning on hunting there for a week or so. So we diving into all these spots, covering a bunch of ground, hunting all over the place. And we were, we were figuring things out, but we ended up kind of going into this spot middle of the day, just covering, covering, trying to cover more ground, trying to learn more area. We just dove into the spot that we kept driving past. It seemed like a spot that might get overlooked, had perfect habitat diversity. So like could see from the road that there was cattails, there was, some cottonwood trees, so bigger trees, and, and otherwise op- very, very open habitat. And there was all kinds of different brushy stuff. I don't even know the names of half of it, but m- max diversity for the area, but right off the road. But we'd also not seen anybody park there the whole time we'd been there, and this is at day five or so, maybe, maybe day four. So we go in, and um, the whole idea is to do a wind bump just to see what we can come up, get to come out of there. Um, Brody had a tag, and he set up on the downwind side of the bedding area with Jake, and I went to the upwind side of the bedding area and zigzagged back and forth through that bedding area, letting my scent blow through it. And the whole goal 
with that is just to lightly bump deer. You know, they smell you. They escape the bedding area. They get out casually and just kind of, you know, slink through there rather than busting out like their life is in complete danger. Yeah, like if you're shooting at them with guns and stuff or just shooting guns or banging pots and pans, you know, deer are going to scoot out of there pretty quick. But in this situation, the whole goal is to get them to calmly escape the bedding area and present you a pretty decent shot. So ended up uh, going through there, and as soon as I get in the middle of it, I'm like, man, this is where the bucks are. Like, there's buck sign in here, fresh rubs. The deer, you know, early in the season like that, the deer haven't shed their velvet for very long. So when I'm seeing a rub on September 18th or whatever it was, like, I know that that's fresh. I know that's within two weeks. So I go. Well, the other thing you mentioned, you know, we, we took another stab at the recording with all the sirens, but you had mentioned just a moment ago um, that, you know, when it's early season, you're one of the few people out there bumping these deer. Um, oh, yeah. Right. And yeah. so they, you know, you'd mentioned like food sources are critical. A lot of people talk about that. That's great. Mm-hmm. But their bedding habits haven't changed either. Um, so maybe just start there again a little bit and then kind of go back to where you're headed yeah sure so you know early early on and and well if you're a lot of hunting media right now in the last for as long as i've been alive and paying attention to it like when you read about early season it's just like kind of the same old story it's just like early season the deer are going to be on the green beans or if you find a bean field with you know tops that are still green like that's where the deer are going to be feeding and i mean no kidding to a certain degree right like we can all observe that from a distance um and if and if in your situation that's what the bucks are doing don't overthink it by any means but like in a lot of situations you know we don't have that as hunters whether it be simply the property just doesn't have uh you know an alfalfa field on it or you know, the beans are never green at that time of the year, whatever it is. I mean, there's a number of reasons, but, um, you know, at least in my situation, that was just never a thing. But what is a thing is a deer bedding somewhere on public land, and there's going to be a mature buck bedded on public land, especially on the first day of season. You know, when they're on food sources like that and they're on a pattern, they have to be on somewhat of a bedding pattern too. And just because... Um, you know, just because they're feeding doesn't mean they're just bedding willy-nilly. Uh, you know, if you've got a deer that's consistently feeding in, a, in some green food source, like whether it's in daylight or at dark, like he's probably bedding somewhere that he can get to that pretty easily, right? And I think that that pattern gets super locked in just like the more visible feeding pattern gets locked in as they bed very habitually. So I think in these situations early season if you find where a buck is bedding or a bachelor group better yet a bachelor group and you can kind of nudge them and that's how you find out they're there i mean let's be honest if you're walking through you know uh, the timber in wisconsin or minnesota in mid-september same time i'm talking about like you can't see anything like you're probably not just going to spot a bedded buck but if you kick one up or you kick the mature buck's buddy up and you lightly bump them. I'm not saying crashing through the woods again. I'm, I'm saying very strategically sneak through the woods, trying to lightly bump these deer, get a visual on them. Then you know they're there. So that's kind of what happened in this situation. I'm going through this bedding area in Nebraska, and all of a sudden I'm just like, there's a re-, like, and and one other side note is we figured there was a couple places on the private land 
close to this public where these deer were traveling a decent ways, probably in the dark, to get to these food sources. So as soon as we hit this bedding area and I'm going through it and I'm seeing all this buck sign that's fresh, big beds, scra- actually saw some scrapes. Um, just like the perfect little spot. I'm just like starting to get real, you know, getting that feeling of like, I'm probably going to bump a big buck. And sure enough, I get to the back corner of the bedding area and I watch a buck run over this, the hills, like way out past me. I mean, I watch him go way up and over and he never really even looked back. He just kept running. I mean, he ran, I mean, he ran a mile or two miles maybe without, without ever looking back. And, um, well, dang it, you know, <laughs> no shot at that one. He didn't go past Brody, you know, but I figured, well, heck, I've spooked everything out of here. I've left my scent everywhere. I'm just going to scout every inch of it and pick a spot. So I picked a couple spots in there based off different winds. And I went and I met back up with those guys. And uh, long story short, just went back in there in the next two mornings. Saw all the same deer that I jumped, except for the buck, until it was the second morning that we were in there. So it was like, I want to say, uh, it was a couple days after we spooked the buck. Sure enough, same exact buck. I mean, I, looking back, I know it's the same one. The same shape of the rack. He came in there real early in the morning. It was just getting daylight. Heard him come in and heard him lay down. And at about 8 o'clock, he got up, shifted within that bedding area. Like coincided perfectly with a little wind shift. He got up to switch his beds and he walked 10 yards past us and we got a, wow. got a shot at him. So, so the whole virgin sit thing wasn't really applicable there. You bumped him a day in advance. He came back. Bumped it, so we bumped him a day, gave it a day, hunted it the next day, saw. So on. So that was day three of the whole ordeal. Day one being the day that I wind bumped it. Day two was a break. Day three was the first hunt. Day three, we saw several deer and a smaller buck in there. And the smaller buck had a shot him, but he, he was bedded like right under where we were trying to get to in the stand and ended up just not ever getting real good. I could actually hear him coughing in his bed, huh? side note, but I could hear huh. him coughing in his bed. And that's how I, we knew he was there, but I could never see him until I actually started to climb the tree that we had, the set that we had hung that morning. You were that close and he still didn't get up. When you're making all oh, that racket. Like, oh man, he's like three yards away. But I'll never be able to do that without going into too much detail. I'll never be able to do it justice to how wild that was. Brody and I crawled right on top of a buck. I mean, literally crawled within three yards of the thing and he never moved. He didn't know we were there. He never knew we were there until we got to the stand and he smelled a, a crosswind. The last like yard to the stand put us just enough to where he could smell us and that made him uncomfortable. But without diving too much into that, like, you know, there was other deer in there, and I'm sure I'll I'll be I'll be honest. I think that that buck was in that bedding area that day. We just didn't see him, mm-hmm. and then the following morning, he was in there again and got a really easy shot. So at the him. day so, of rest was pretty good. Early season, a lot less hunting pressure, a lot less hunters. Um, you know, the the whole concept of making that mistake and realizing it's not necessarily a mistake and using that to your advantage is pretty cool. I mean, effectively that bed worked for the buck. So why wouldn't he come back? Exactly. There was no imminent danger. You know, he's like, okay, this is okay. This bed did its job for me. I winded something. So it's safe. Now the wind, you know, the the scent is gone. I'm going to return. 
everything's mm-hmm. quiet. You weren't banging pots and shooting guns like you'd said. So that's interesting. That's a really um, great tactic for early season, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I actually did it the, the very next year. Same thing. Bumped a bit. I mean, it was a bigger buck. It was an even more mature buck. Bumped him with the vehicle. This piece had a, a long, it was a long, long road that went like through public land. And we were like, well, instead of walking at all, we'll just drive through this piece. Like we'll be able to, we'll be able to scout from the road essentially. As we're driving, we see a small buck. He spooks. Saw a doe. She spooked. And we're like, well, let's just come right back in here and hunt like tonight. Like let's get right back in this bedding area tonight. As we drive and turn the truck around, big old boy jumps out of the bedding area. Ended up going in there that night. The smaller of the two bucks, I almost the first one that we saw, I almost shot because he was he came right back in. Literally watched him go right back into that bedding area. And that was the same night we spooked him. So that exact day he looped right back in there. Almost got him. And then two days later we gave it a gave it a rest. I was hunting a different area as well. I was on a different a different buck kind of doing kind of again doing the same thing i mean i could go into all kinds of detail about this but like kind of nudging them around and uh gave it a break went back into there actually ended up crawling this is one of my favorite hunts ever ended up crawling up to the to the spot where we turned the truck around and was laying in the sand the glass in that bedding area and eventually caught his tines and i kid you not he was laying in if he wasn't in the same bed, he was in the same like twenty yard little circle. Wow. And just caught him laying there and I ended up stalking into nineteen yards and shooting him as soon as he stood up. So had I not spooked either one of those bucks though, I would have never known they were there. So So it's really a, a confirmation. Like you think the spot's good, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. You're not using trail cams, it sounds like for these two hunts Mm-mm. that were referenced at least, and it's a good way to confirm what's really going on there. Give you some affirmation yep. to what you think is going on and then make your move from there. And if it's early season, I think you have some of that grace because it hasn't been so pressured. They They haven't figured that out yet. For sure. And I think, I mean, I do a lot of spooking deer throughout the season and I'll be the first person to tell you that it isn't ever as big of a deal as you think it is. I mean, everybody, if you think it's a big deal, then people that think that it's a big deal to me, just obviously haven't ever pursued them past the spook, in my opinion. Like, they don't leave the county as much as people think they do. I'm not saying they don't move, you know, a quarter mile or something and shift to the next bedding area, but, like, if the habitat's good enough, at least. I mean, there's some places where maybe the habitat's broken enough that, you know, he may move a little bit further. And I'm sure some situations are true, but, like, if you bump one any time of the year, it usually isn't leaving. It's just a matter of finding where he wants to go if he does leave. But early in the season, when they are on a like heavy pattern of feeding, because in the late summer and you know before they're getting ready for rut, right? They're just getting ready. They're just getting ready to do their whole rutting thing. They're putting on weight. They're feeding heavily, so they're on a pretty consistent pattern. All right, next up is Johnny Stewart. And, uh, you know, his approach really has a compounded effect of knowledge and experience over many years uh, that helps kind of inform his approach. He treats every hunt 
as he states in this particular episode, like it's a, uh, a prosecutor in a murder case when the prosecutor knows some facts, but then spends time obsessively gathering more facts uh, and then doesn't take the case to the jury until he knows he'll be able to commit the offender. And, and that's in that case, it's until you can kill the deer. So he takes the same approach to making a move on a mature buck. He talks about following clues deers leave behind to inform their story and, and get as close as he possibly can for that one shot. Let's hear what Johnny has to say. Today, we're talking with John Stewart out of uh, just south of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We learned of you from Greg, Greg Litzinger, the bow hunting fiend, and we wanted to talk about early season strategy or maybe not, uh, depending on your approach and how you're getting it done over there. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on, Eric. Uh, I just want to start by saying that, you know, I got a lot of different states that I hunt, you know, over the last 20 years, I've probably hunted a dozen states and um, you gain a lot of information because deer inhibit a wide variety of areas in this country. You know, I've hunted swamps, I've hunted mountain bucks, plateau mountains, western mountains, you know, prairie, farm country, suburbs. I mean, um, so I, I want to um, say that um, you got to be careful um, when you're given information because one person might be hunting a certain area, you're hunting a totally different area. And the, the information, uh, you know, the, the tactic that you use in one area, it might, for this guy or where I'm hunting, might be totally um, different than another situation. And uh, so you got to make sure you're comparing apples to apples. Makes sense. Um, you know, yeah, there's no black and white um, when it comes to, you know, like I, I use analogies a lot. Another thing you might, pick up on when I'm talking just so people can relate you know I I'm in an excavation business and I um I'll call a mechanic but a machine's broke down and I'll say hey my machine doesn't start I ask him one question and he got 30 questions for me so it's kind of the same thing you know people ask where where you hunt or what are you doing a mountain hunting it's like oh man that's really um gray there's no you know I got a ton more questions that fire back at you but um and a lot of times people say that you um, you contradict yourself, as in me, which I think can happen because when we talk about whitetail different situations and hunting, um, you're going to find that balance. It's like a mass scale. That's another analogy. Like it's like a like a you know the balance scale that you know if you put a gram on this side, it kind of it's just you go too much one way, and then you got to put some weight on this side to find that you know so. It's not um, just do this, do this, and then, you know, you got to go back to the other side and maybe do the complete opposite, uh, you know. Certainly, yeah. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. But I like focusing on that because it's like people say, oh, you said to do this, and then they do this. And then not in that situation because I've, I've talked recently on times where I run through the woods. Man, I gain, you know, at a certain time I'm going through the woods, picking up all kind of info, looking left and right, and jotting all kind of notes down in my head. But you know, oh, John runs through the woods. I need to run. No, there's other times I'm like barely moving through the woods, scouting. You know, like I was just out in the woods last week, and it's green, so it's harder to find clues. You got to slow down. You know, um, and I know you were wanting to talk on, you know, some early season tactics, but I just wanted to, you know, give you some information about me um, and stuff like that. Um, now, with deer hunting, and like I said, I've hunted a ton of different states, different topo, different, just a wide variety. And it's kind of like, 
when you're young or in your infancy and hunting deer, it's like you have a couple tools, you know, maybe a little toolbox, you know, and then you graduate over so many years and hearing, reading about deer, you'll have like, I look at it as my mechanic and he comes out to the job. He has a huge service truck. He got every tool in it. He got, a, he got now. Um, so what you're learning in the deer woods or from other people is like, that service truck as opposed to your little toolbox you had maybe 10 years ago, you know, so all this information you can gain, you know, cause there's different tactics. You got a wide variety of tactics now that you can use in different situations, you know, but, um, anyways, as far as hunting early season, um, lately I don't get into much early season because, um, with my excavation business, I'm kind of getting, busy through september october so it kind of limits my time and another thing eric is um I'm, I'm limited on time um with my my business but also um i don't live i i've been hunting public land pretty religiously like um exclusively probably last seven eight years and so um most of the spots i'm hitting up are with you know, they're not even close to where I live. I live in, you know, like you, you noted, you know, just south of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but um, probably two, two and a half hours is the closest piece of public ground that I hunt. So um, it's not too feasible for me to try to hunt these areas through October because as you know, m most people know, you know, it might be masked and there are a lot of the deer are resting. They call it the law sometimes. And, you know, it might not be productive to be there in the woods hunting you know, throughout the day, it might be good morning, evening, and I don't have the time to get to there just for an evening hunt. Now there's times, you know, so don't take out to the bank. I mean, there's times if you got a spot, there's a mask, um, you know, that, that keep deer or some type of food they're keying in on and a bed's close. If you got them figured out, get in there and hunt it, you know, and then, you know, maybe right for, wait for the right moon or, you know, a front coming in and stuff like that. So yeah, definitely. Um, that's kind of some factors for, hunting um early season uh, but like i said i don't really um get into it um because like i said um i don't live close um and then it, sometimes you can get burned out hunting early season i gotta get out there i gotta get out there. it might ruin your spot and i think scent is a bigger part you know because it's usually warmer and you might get to the point where you might be ruining that spot for later in the year um and one big factor whether it's early season or any time of year is the unknown variable is hunting pressure to where the, to me, that's the main, main variable that you have to figure out in your hunting area. If you're hunting public land is how bad is the pressure? Anybody can read sign or oh, there's a big rub. I'm going to hunt there. There's a scrape, da, 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 there's food, but you can read the sign, but is that deer going to be there? If um, the pressure's there, he might be nocturnal. You got to figure all that out. So, Another thing, getting back to early season, maybe let the other guys get in there and pressure them and then kind of turn them into, you know, that. and I believe these older deer, if that's what you're after, the ones that make it through on this public land, find them little nooks and crannies, or they live within a seam. They'll satellite hunters, um, you know, that maybe they know where these guys park and come in. And sometimes it's further to get away from the road, maybe um, early season, um, the guys are hunting close to the road, push them back. And, you know, that's why I kind of like, um, you know, I hunt a rut. Um, that's when my odds are the best. 
um, like I said, with work, just all the things that add up to me hunting um, that time. But like I said, don't, you know, you can't never, if, if you, with you got that toolbox full of tools, that service truck, you got all this knowledge from many years and reading podcasts and that, then there's different episodes, different tactics you could use in early season, you know, and a lot of things we, I used to do when I was younger, it was bow drives. Um, we were big on it. I, where I grew up, there's not many big deer. It's kind of like some coal mine towns, little, not many farms and suburbs started growing and we started putting bow drives on, you know, um, kind of bumping deer from woodlot to woodlot and um, kind of getting someone set up where, you know, they're going to wind up if you bump them out of here or use the wind to bump them up, you know, that that's a good way to um, kind of get a shot at a deer. Um, as long as you got enough spots and usually you do it in a spot that you're not, maybe you're hunting a certain buck, you kind of stay out of there. Or maybe you bump areas that, you know, he's not, or he could be in to kind of know where he's at, you know, but um, I think the biggest, so there's a couple factors, uh, you know, I talked about is um, being that I don't live close, you know, to my public hunting areas, um, you know, the um, pressure is definitely any, you know, you always take that in consideration, you know, like I said, your scent. And then, um, so there's, there's a couple of reasons why I don't hunt. And like I talked to you earlier, Eric, before we got on the air is, um, I don't, I treat my hunt like it's a, a, a prosecutor in a, in a, a case he's trying to prosecute, maybe a murder, um, someone that committed a murder. It's like you get this prosecutor and he'll, uh, you know, he knows the guy has an idea. The guy, um, committed the murder they kind of knows him but he gathers all this information i mean he's like obsessed with it and he finds out and he doesn't take it to the jury to court till he knows everything about um the whole case the whole episode the murder and that's kind of how i approach my hunting i mean right up till the time i take it to the jury was like me going to the tree is like I'm putting cameras out, I'm scouting, I'm learning, watching, you know, I'll just drive the road, see where everybody's hunting. I mean, I'll study maps and, you know, it might take two, three years, but before um, I really, I mean, I, I might hunt in the meantime, but not so to the point where I know this is it. It might be just kind of filling or maybe scouting area, but I don't go sit in that stand till I know that the time is right to kill that deer. Usually you only get one chance. It's like, you know, um, the prosecutor, he's going to take one chance at convicting this guy in the murder you got to have all the, you got to have everything everything gathered up there's clues out there the deer have have clues or leaving there's a there's a story told you got to listen to them you know you got to read all the clues and then you go in to hunt like this year um so um the area i'm hunting um now is areas i've been hunting in these different states for several years and now i got all the clues i got everything and now i'm kind of when I get in that tree, or you know, when I step foot in that tree, I kind of know I'm going to get a chance at a deer. Um, I spent 30 hours in a tree this year, and and I I missed 150, and I shot one about probably right around one. Four, shot two about 140, uh, the one that's a broken tines. But you know, in 30 hours, I think that's pretty good. So oh, public land, a, yeah. You know, getting a chance Absolutely. at a deer in 10 hours, but it's not like. Uh, but it's so many years and having all this, all these tactics is service truck full of tactics. And so that's, um, that's about where I'm at. And I know, um, you said we got about 15 minutes there and, and it don't take long for, for that to run out. So, 
Um, we'll, yeah. we'll just get you back on another one. We'll pull out some of these tools on the service truck and we'll figure out what you're doing specifically. The methodology and approach is good. Um, you know, what's one of the go-to tools once you're out there, how are you applying that Intel? And you got about, uh, four, four to three, three to four minutes. Um, you mean early season or just in general, just in general, in general, um, like I said, know everything you can. Um, pressure is number one. Stay away. Find the hunters. Find that scene. Find that plot spot where nobody's at. The fresh sign. Like I said, I've talked to other podcasts how I move through a piece of public land, maybe second, third week in November, and I'll see. I'll I'll learn where the deer are, maybe jumping, see where the hunters are. So um, find that fresh sign and get in there and, and get after that animal. And know everything you possibly can before you go to hunt, you know. Um, that's the biggest thing. Know the pressure. Know just as you'll find me use that word a lot. No, no, know everything. Know as much as you can. Are you deploying trail cams at all uh, as a yes or a no? Yeah, I, I run my cameras right up till the time I kill. You know, last year when me and Greg killed, I mean, that day I was still pulling cameras. I didn't get in a tree till, that, you know, it's just like I'm constantly running. Things are evolving, changing throughout the whole season. You know, it's masked, it's breeding, it's recovery, it's, you know, goes through the whole phase and things are always changing. It's pressure. So you got to keep running these cameras and scouting and getting intel until you decide to get in that tree and uh, make a kill. And it's just, you got all these tools and pull out the right tool out of the toolbox and go to work. So I dig it. Yeah, I like the the compounding effect of that knowledge over time and years and knowing which tool to pull out during what part of the season and or what situation. But yeah. it sounds like hunting pressure is probably one of the biggest things you I focus on. The biggest thing, I've, whether I'm reading a map, right thing I go to, where's the hunters, where are they parking? Because if it wasn't pressure, anybody can kill a big buck. You just read the sign, you go out there and you kind of set up and stuff like that. And, you know, so pressure is the biggest thing in a lot of public land. You don't have... It's not like you can pull them into a Most park. hunters can read a map the same way. It doesn't take, you know, rocket science to end up at the same damn spot. So you got to think a little bit outside of the box. Outside the box, do different things, try different things, try a new tool we haven't used, you know? Yeah. Like you said, we can go on and on, but yeah. Um, we'll tell you what, we'll get you back on another one. Uh, we'll just find another 15 minutes in your schedule and we'll just, now that we got the intro stuff done, we'll dive in deeper, but I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, cut it for here and, and john thank you for doing this and i think we'll we'll have plenty more with you for these good thanks for having me eric i hope uh somebody can figure out a little something you know from my information maybe lead them in the right direction of killing a big buck So as I record some of this episode, uh, it's Tuesday the 31st, and we just got done with our, our podcast. And uh, one of our callers was Jake Bush. And uh, some fun tidbits about Jake, <laughs> at least that are, are top of mind right now, is uh, he's using a, a Latitude Outdoors saddle. Uh, that's what we're using, the method two. And by we, I mean Greg and I. And he just shared a tip on his Instagram that blew my mind. So just some great practical advice coming from him. But he had also guested on our tactic talk last year. And so we want to hear what he has to say about his early season approach also. So Jake focuses most of his hunting efforts on the early season. And uh, this is something that was new to me last year is this whole concept of early season. You know, I just hate mosquitoes so much that it doesn't really 
seem to jive well with me, but um, a lot of you guys out there power through it. And uh, so Jake takes his inventory of up to five to eight target bucks on different public land properties. And then he identifies buck bedding and early season food sources for each of those five to eight properties. And then very deliberately makes his moves. So very strategic about uh, how he how he does things. And he scouts all the time. He scouts hard and heavy. He's always finding sheds for the entire year, not just, you know, shed season and shed rally. It's constantly with him. And if there's an error on one buck or plot of land, then he just moves to the next um, property that he has identified. So there's some great nuggets of intel in this one, and we hope you get something out of it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're here with uh, Jake Bush to cover, again, some more early season stuff. But uh, Jake, you're the man, man. So I want to hear how you're getting it done early season specifically. I'm just going to let you kind of go with it. Yes, sir. Sounds good. So, um. Uh, you know, throughout the years, I've, I believe that I've had quite a bit of success early season. Um, I would say that a lot of that's based around my scouting and my work in the off season leading up to that. So, um, to start off, you know, January 1st season's over. Um, I'm going to start attacking it by scouting out beds for certain locations that I picked out that I want to target for that year. Uh, my, my biggest thing that I really focus on, um, I'm a big hill country hunter. And I'm really focused on wind-based beds. So generally in hill country, bucks will bed on the leeward side of a ridge or on leeward side points where um, you're going to have a, you're going to have a good amount of wind to back and sight. So those bucks can have the advantage to pretty much everything. If you can, you know, if you can take that in and kind of apply that, you'll notice that you'll find a lot more beds in these locations. Um, and they're, they're actually quite simple to target early season for a few reasons. <clears throat> if you can take a lot of those locations and, um, and start to put together like a destination food source and start to put together, you know, let's say 10 or 15 of these spots for early season, I think that the first two weeks might be the best two weeks all year to target a mature buck, especially a specific buck. Um, so let's say that I have my beds picked out. I've got the beds that you know I've scouted out throughout the spring. My next step will be trying to just get inventory on bucks that I want to target for the year. So I will put out trail cameras. This year I'm running roughly 20 trail cameras. I'll, uh, I'll normally get those out around the 1st of June and then try to run those until September. The reason for that is I think that if I check most of my cameras in September, a lot of those deer will still be on that pattern come the either late September or early October start for our season. So in which state are you in? Which out, state are you hunting? Thing that I'll do basically all summer is glass as well. Um, so I'll, you know, drive around to destination food sources, whether it's a flat of white oaks that I can see from the road or a big clear cut that I can get up high and kind of observe overnight. Um, 
a bean field, you know, short corn fields, alfalfa fields, anything like that. And I'll just try to get a really good inventory on these deer uh, for the ones that I want to target. So normally I'll drive around and say I locate five bucks. When I locate those deer, I already have their beds scouted out from the springtime. So the big thing that I'll do is start, I'll get on a map on like Onyx and I'll start putting together, you know, certain travel routes to certain destinations at that time of the year based on the beds that I've already found. And I'll, I'll have specific locations for certain winds that I'll target as well. There's a lot of different factors that go into that. You know, I'll, I'll factor in temperature for the day, um, not necessarily just wind direction, but wind velocity as well, because that's going to affect how far down the ridge some of these beds that they're using are based on the wind tunnel. Um, you know, if it's, if it's a hot day and the sun's really shining, you're going to have a better thermal pole as well. So all these, all these factors into the specific beds that I want to target. And then, uh, so from that point, basically I will have everything that I want for, let's say my first five sits for the year. Um, and then I'm just waiting on the exact weather conditions that I want for that location. And when I get that, I'll, I'll pounce. I'm, uh, I'm probably more aggressive than most hunters. And I think that has a that's got a lot to do with the success that I do have. You know, if I can put myself on five good bucks and have five different destination food sources with beds that I can target, I don't have to worry about sitting back or bumping a deer. I'll go into, you know, within 50 or a hundred yards of that bedding location and set up basically in between him and the destination. And, you know, based on sign rubs, uh, community scrapes, things like that as well. So it allows me to be really aggressive and, you know, I've, I've bumped a lot of deer doing that. And the thing that I can always fall back on is I've got another location with another mature buck that I can target the next day. And so, you know, I, I have basically zero fear going into that. And I think that that's a big part of it. Um, and I think that being aggressive like that also allows you to learn quite a bit as well from your mistakes. And that's really important too. If you're constantly just sitting back, and you're not in the game and you're not seeing a lot of these deer, you're not making those mistakes. You're never really going to grow as a hunter and then become really good at this. And that's, that's kind of my goal as well is to just become so instinctive with it that I can get on, you know, mature buck pretty much every year in the first few days of the season. Um, so basically, so I have my deer picked out that I want to target. I have the locations, I have the weather pattern for that day. I'll go in with a uh, stand on my back. You know, I'm, I'm a mobile hunter, so either my stand or my saddle, depending on distance. And I'll just normally scout my way in. And I've tried to get away from having like a specific tree in mind, like a certain destination. I've tried to get a lot better at reading the sign on the way in. And that's something that I actually picked up from the, the hunting public quite a bit. I saw their success. And so over the last couple of years, I've tried to implement that. And it's it's really helped me out quite a bit because... A lot of times walking in, I would have a destination in mind and I would either walk past really hot sign or I would set up somewhere that didn't have that hot sign. And I had a lot of sits where I just, I didn't have a lot of action and they were really, you know, quite low percentage sits because I was just too far out of the game or I went past it. So I think that, you know, determining location as you're there in the heat of the moment is really important. And uh, if you can put all that together, I mean, you can you can really get on some mature bucks early season and, you know, 
especially on public land where you have the opportunity to travel around and target multiple bucks at a time. So I'm just kind of um, taking in what you've said here. You're running 20 trail cams. How, are you splitting it up kind of between, you said you have like five target bucks. So how many are you running like, you know, what, four different, the, the math on that, 20 divided by four, like is that four properties that you're putting <laughs> those on, right? Um, so yeah, yeah, I got you. So my goal is five bucks. Um, at, like as of right now, I have target bucks that I found sheds off and, and stuff like that, but I don't have any target bucks necessarily located for the year at this point. And I'll have those located through glassing and um, my cameras. So I actually have, I believe, eight different parcels, eight different public pieces that I have cameras on right now. And, you know, I have more cameras on locations that I determined were good last year. Last year was my first year in Ohio, and I gained quite a bit of intel. And then uh, I have basically one camera at a couple new spots that I've just found some really good beds on and some good sign or found a couple sheds at. And I'm just trying to narrow it down at this point. I mean, I want to get as, as much of a focus on the specific gear as possible, but have a broad spectrum throughout Ohio so I can, I can stay open-minded as well. And when does Ohio season for both start? I believe this year uh, it is the 26th of September. So it's pretty early. Yeah. Okay. I don't know specifically ours in Wisconsin. It typically falls on like the second week of September. So it's usually like, you know, balls hot outside, um, which presents obviously some challenges and in a whole nother paradigm. But, you know, the, the, the concept of you taking inventory through trail cams and glassing, when you're talking about public land, um, you know, you talked about, you know, bean fields or low corn and things like that, or oak flats, and some of that stuff you can see from the road. I have areas like that around me here in Wisconsin. Uh, unfortunately, not most of it, uh, at least in like my micro kind of nucleus area from my home, unless I'm like driving a little bit, there's not a lot of, there's that kind of property that I can see, but it's not huntable. So it gives me some sense of like, okay, what are the deer into? What are they doing here? But that's less important for where I want to go. So uh, you being in Ohio, are you driving to these different, these eight different properties and doing that glassing also? Yes, I am. And a lot of these drives are, you know, an hour to two hours away as well. And I've just kind of set up, like when I moved down here, I, I got a specific job that's 12 hour shifts. So I have more days off every week and I can actually drive around and check those locations. That's cool. I was going to ask, <laughs> you know, um, you said you're really able to pounce whenever the moment's kind of right. So, you know, hopefully that moment doesn't happen on one of those 12 hour shifts, but it seems like you might have a little bit more uh, flexibility in your week to be able to address that. And is it, you know, during, during the week, you're going to have, a, I think a little bit more, at least more odds of success of not seeing another hunter. It minimizes that threat a little bit during the weekend. Obviously that's when most people have the time to get out. So are you doing most of the stuff during the week if you can? Yeah. The majority of the bucks that I've killed that were really mature early season were in the middle of the week. Um, and, and the other side of that too, like I take, I'll take a week of vacation the first week of season, which I don't think a lot of guys do. And so I'm really focused on, you know, my goal is to be tagged out in the first seven days. So you really are in the state that I'm in. It's, it's cool that I'm talking to you. You know, we've had a, a couple episodes now that we're filling the can with, and we're really focusing on early season right now. And that'll change as we progress, but you really are an early season whitetail bow hunter. I mean, that's, that's your jam and you got it down. I mean, it's pretty, your approach is pretty scientific. 
Yeah, I love it, man. And it just seems like, uh, you know, the more the more that I do it, I think this would go for anybody, the, the more instinctive it becomes. I mean, it's almost to the point now where, like last year in Ohio, it was only my second hunt I've ever had in Ohio when I killed that buck. And um, I think that, you know, it's just putting the pieces together. And if you put the time in in the off season, I, I can't stress that enough that it's it's all based on time in the field, I believe. You know, that's what's going to make you the best at your craft. And if you, like for me, I did kind of dedicate my, you know, my hunting routine towards the early season just because I like the idea of patterning a deer. I like the idea of knowing where he's bedded. And I like the idea of walking in with a tree stand on my back and beating him at his game. And that's, you know, for me, like the rut is a lot of fun, but it's kind of random as well. I, I really like the idea of knowing that you beat that deer at his game. And that's, that's something in my mind that, that I just really enjoy. That's cool. I mean, you, you have more things in your control, I guess, because it is, for lack of a better term, it's a little bit more predictable, but you do have to study that animal. So, you know, when I hear people talk about targeting a very specific buck, it's always perplexed me up until probably right now with this conversation, because if you're doing that early season, it's more predictable and reliable information, the resources that you have and the intel that you've collected versus if someone's telling me they're targeting a very specific buck, buck and it's the middle of the rut and it's October 31st or the first week of November or whatever, the hell is that buck, you know? How far are yeah, they going to travel? Yeah. And so that's always perplexed me when I've heard that. I don't know if that means that everybody that does, you know, specific buck targeting is going early season. I don't think that's the case. I think you've hit the nail on the head with how you've really produced success for yourself. And I've traditionally been pretty unexcited about early season. I shouldn't say it that way, but I've, by the time all of this time has elapsed, I'm dying to go hunting. And then I get out there and I realize there's walls of mosquitoes and it's sweating and it's just disgusting out there. But I also didn't, I also wasn't armed with all of this information I've been collecting for early season specifically. So I was kind of like going ice fishing without a Vexlar, I guess, you know, just drilling blind holes and wondering what the hell is going to happen without having any idea what the terrain is below me, where the weed beds are, where the drop-offs are, what the terrain is, nothing, you know, just hoping that it would work all while yep. not having a shanty and suffering too. I mean, like at this rate, you have more intel, more information. So you're willing to deal with those elements because you kind of know what's going on. And that can outweigh that suffering, I guess, to a degree. Yep. And now, you know, you have your Vexlar and you're out walleye fishing and there's a, there's a group of guys a hundred yards away. Like that's the rut basically on public land. Mm -hmm. There's guys all over the place. Early season, the first week of season, I, I've only ever probably seen three or four guys total hunting early season on public land. I mean, it's 5% of what you get during the rut. So really, you know, you're the first person in there to see these deer. You can make all the moves you want. There's no pressure at all for the most part. I mean, I don't know how it is in Wisconsin. I've never hunted there, but New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, um, all the places that I've hunted, Montana, early season, there's just no pressure at all. So you can kind of make your own fortune with it. It's, it's all up to you and it's in your hands. It's a great way to conclude that, man. That's awesome. Thank you very much for doing this with us today. Yes, sir. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to wrap this whole thing up with Mark Kenyon and hear what he has to say about his approach to hunting private land early season. And he really emphasizes his strategic approach and uh, scouting early on to ensure you're creating the highest probability for success. But moreover, 
holding out on access as to not burn that property early on too. So there's a bit of a balance there and he talks through some of that stuff. So let's hear what Mark has to say about that uh, kind of private land portion, which is not something that I have a lot of context about. So I'm happy to hear, I'm happy that he was able to jump on with us for this. Today on the show with us is Mark Kenyon. What I'm looking for today is to help cover a topic that, you know, I don't know much about, which is private land. And we're really trying to focus on early season uh, tactics, strategies. You know, how do you go about approaching any private property? I know you're doing some work with the back 40 and things like that. So I thought you'd have some good uh, insight here. Yeah, well, private land hunting is similar in many ways to public land hunting, right? You're hunting the same deer, you're hunting sometimes similar habitat, you're hunting, you know, deer or deer. Um, the biggest difference is that you will have to some degree or another, depending on your situation, some kind of control over variables such as what other people are out there competing with you, how much this property and specific deer there and, and things like that. And then finally, you'll have some type of control over the habitat itself, the ability to manage that or improve it. Um, so all three of those things, again, depending on if this is a lease or if this is by permission private or if this is you own private, um, you can adjust. But what I'll tell you at a high level before we dive into any one of those in particular is that early season is really about food, 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 right? At this time of the year, deer are still on, really all deer, but bucks especially are on this bed to feed pattern, which eventually they do break once we get towards the rut. But for now, it's just going from the bedroom to the best food sources and getting back to that in a way that feels to do it. Um, so if you have private land, hopefully you've scouted it, you know it to some degree, and you can have an idea of where are those bedrooms at, where are those food sources at. If you have control over this land and there are not other people hunting it, it's a it's a relatively simple equation. It's scout out and figure out where that best food source is for the early season. Your very first day of hunting, opening day, or whenever you first get out there, is one of your very best chances of the entire year because these deer, as long as you haven't been going in there all the time mucking stuff up, these deer are un unpressured. They are comfortable going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and they're going to stay pretty consistent with that routine until something forces them to change. The thing that might force them to change, it could be changing food sources, it could be um, you know, outside factors like that, but the biggest thing would be hunting-related changes. So if you are on public land, that could happen to you where a bunch of guys start hunting and the deer react to it. Again, if you're on private, though, if you are the one who gets to hunt that and nobody else, just make sure you're not the one screwing that up. Um, so the very first night of the season, you've got this great opportunity before you can change the behavior. So like I mentioned at the front end, try to identify what that best food source is. If you live in farmland, uh, it depends on when your season opens, but let's say you've got a season that opens mid-September, maybe September 12th or something. You might still have soybean fields, probably still have soybean fields that are green. Deer love that. You might have an alfalfa field or a clover field, or maybe there's acorns dropping on a little flat with some white oaks. If you can find those spots where the deer are feeding, that's a great spot to zero in on for that opening night hunt. Um, how can you tell what those best early season food sources are? Well, the best way to do it, if you can, is to watch these places from afar. That way you can learn about what's happening without having to actually set foot in there and leave scent, possibly spook deer, 
anything like that. So I hunt a lot of farmland where you can see from hills or various roadsides. You can see across the crop fields. I like to get out there in those days leading up to the season with my binoculars and my spotting scope and glass as many of these different fields as possible to try to see where are these deer feeding. Sometimes they're where I think they are. Sometimes I'm going to watch an area and say, oh, wow, they're not hitting this field like I thought they would. I need to kind of change up my plan. Um, so do that until you find the deer or you find the deer you're after, depending on what your goals are. Um, that's a great way leading into the opening day of the season or whatever your first period of hunting is. You can run trail cameras to get the same kind of information. Um, but again, you want to get that intel without letting the deer know you're hunting them. So if you can use a cell camera, that's a great way to do it. So you don't need to walk in there and check it. Um, if you're going to check a regular trail camera, leading up to that first couple hunts, those first couple hunts, try to do it in a place where you can drive up to it in the middle of the day on the ATV or truck or a bike or something. Try to do it when the wind isn't blowing right into those bedding areas. Um, you know, all of this is, it's, it's pretty one-on-one stuff once you get the basics. Okay, where are these deer? Where are they feeding? But the trick is in the execution. So it's, it's figuring out where all these pieces of the puzzle are and then actually executing that plan the right way. So, so yeah, access sounds here. super important. Um, yeah. Paying, you're going to have to pay attention to a lot of the finer details like wind direction, temperature, th- things like that that are going to be more, I don't know, depending on what your access looks like. You know, do you have yeah. one spot to get in? Is it landlocked everywhere else? Like, how are you, you know, going to deal with that hunt that day based on that deer you've observed? Yes. So all, all that stuff's important. Yeah. You know, finding those, the first, finding the bedding here, finding the food source, that's the beginning point. You need to try to isolate how they're traveling between the two. And then, yeah, when it comes to the setup, you need to be able to get there without spooking the deer. You need to be able to get out of there after the hunt without spooking deer because you might not kill them on the first night. So you want to get in there again, maybe the next night or the next time the wind's right or the next time the conditions are right. You need to be able to get out safely as well. So all this stuff needs to be thought about beforehand. Um, and and then again, it comes down to the, the principles of success. You know, making sure you're thinking about wind, making sure you're thinking about exit entry, making sure you're thinking about um, the, 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 how deer react to outside factors like temperature, like barometric pressure. All those things can help or hinder deer movement on any given night. So when it comes to early season. I almost always hunt opening night. I think it's hard to beat opening night. Um, and then after that, I will be looking at conditions. So is there a great cold front moving through? That might make me hunt one of my better spots. Is there some recent intel that I just picked up, either by observation or trail camera, that makes me think that one of these bucks I'm after is moving? Then I'm going to hunt. Um, but I'm not going to go swinging for the fences every single hunt unless one of those things tell me, hey, it's go time. Um, otherwise I will hunt edges, I'll observe, I'll scout, but I don't want to go blasting into stuff unless I've got a really educated reason to do so. So for me, most of the time, that means early seasons are usually an evening hunt thing. Those are easier to get into without spooking deer, easier to get out of without spooking deer if you think it through right. Um, and you tend to get a little bit more daylight activity in the evenings than you do in the mornings from mature bucks, at least that's not a rule. But I would say more often than not, that's the case. Um, but in certain scenarios, I might throw in a morning hunt. Like if I'm on a short traveling hunt, like we're going to Idaho right now for an early season hunt. We only have seven, eight, nine days, something like that. 
um, we probably will do some morning hunts when we kind of figure things out and know how we need to get in there without spooking deer simply because we don't have a lot of time. So we're going to get a little more aggressive, but if I'm hunting at a farm close to my house that I get to hunt a lot, I'm going to be a lot more conservative with when I do that. Um, That's logical. I mean, you know, I know a couple of folks that do own private themselves. I do know some folks that lease, and I do know some folks that just simply have public access to a private parcel. And it, I often hear that a lot of these guys or gals um, will hunt public land and kind of, you know, burn that uh, earlier in the season or, or what have you. And then they'll kind of sit on their private property, not literally, but sit on it as like a, an ace in the hole, right? Well, they'll like, no, I'm going to conserve that until later in the season so I, you know, don't disrupt it early on. They don't even want to take those risks of entry and exit and all of that. They're just going to yeah. sit there and they're like, I can burn through the thousands of acres of public land, have fun, get my time in the woods. And then if I still don't have anything, I can go visit my private property. What's your thought on that? I mean, it sounds like you're really into just getting out there the, the first couple nights and, and have an adder before they've uh, broken their patterns. Yeah. I, I look at the first couple days of the season as being just a good a chance to kill a buck on my private spots as a rut. So I, I prioritize making sure I'm hunting my best spots those first couple days. And then, you know, once you get into that, I don't know, October, for, for me in Michigan, opening day is October 1st. So usually at the first, second, and third, plan on hunting like my best spot, going swinging for the fences for one of these bucks. Um, and consistently year after year, I, there's a good chance that I'll at least see the buck I'm after. Sometimes I'll have a shot or shot at another nice buck, something like that. I'm not, I'm not always killing these deer, but at least having encounters. Um, but usually by the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, somewhere around there, all right, it's time to ease out. And then, yeah, I think it makes sense. Hunt secondary places, whether that's private or public land. Um, you know, unless again, Intel, some kind of Intel tells you otherwise, but I, I like that idea because you want to still hunt. You want, you, get, you never know what you're going to get on on some public land or another private place. Um, but I don't want to just hammer my very best spots over and over and over and over and over if I don't have a really good reason to do so. So yeah, I think save your spots for those best times, for the best conditions, and then, uh, go have fun in some other places, trying new things, exploring new areas. Uh, maybe you'll get lucky along the way, or maybe, you know, it doesn't pan out. But by the time you go back to your honey hole on October 30th, conditions are right. And that big boy's on his feet in daylight. And he doesn't realize that, you know, for the last three weeks you've been hunting, but not around him. So he feels really comfortable and he walks up to 20 yards and you put a perfect shot on him and smiles are all around. You got to be so jacked to be going to Idaho to hunt right now. <laughs> this is like the perfect excited. time to yeah. have this conversation. By, uh, by tomorrow <laughs> evening, I'll be in a tree. So I'm pretty stoked on that. Hopefully at full draw with something or at least having some encounters. It's pretty exciting. Yes. And, and you're definitely right about, you know, maximizing your time out in that area, going morning and evening and just, you know, doing what you can with what you got instead of conserving the property that might be closer to home. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what's worked for me at least. Cool. I Honestly, you know, like, the only other things I could think of um, were maybe around some of the food stuff, but you covered that earlier on, you know, pay attention to that. If you're doing your observations, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense too. I mean, you're not, like you said, this is one-on-one stuff, but it's uh, a lens that I don't often uh, put on when I think about hunting private, right? There's just a couple other variables um, 
you know, and some folks, depending on the surrounding areas too, maybe they are getting some pressure. Maybe your place is a safe haven if there's a lot of public around it. You know, yeah. obviously the deer don't know the border, but if no one else is accessing and no one really truly isn't trespassing, you know, that might be something to consider too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think it's worth just noting again, like picking the right food source is really important because you only get that first couple hunts of the year. You only get that once, right? That time passes. And if you spend your first few hunts in the wrong place, well, you're, you're SOL. So either having a strong historical knowledge of the area and what those deer key in on or figuring out a way to do that smart scouting, like that's really, really important. Um, and and if, you, if you've got that figured out, then you just need to move in and, and make the right call with your setup, make the right call with your wind direction. Um, you know, at that time of year, you got to think about the fact that these deer are relatively, um, again, I keep saying them, but relatively unpressured. So if you want to get a little aggressive with the wind, I don't mind doing that in the first night because if there's ever a night where they'll be like, ah, I don't know what's going on here, that might be the night. Sure. Um, so, you know, having a wind that cuts a corner a little bit, yeah, you always have to give up something when it comes to the wind direction when you head into hunt. I, I used to get in there and I'd be so paranoid. I'd be like, well, this little section here, they'll wind me, but this one they won't. Maybe I'll set up here, but it gets me this. And I don't stress about it much anymore. I know it's, it's, it's very important, but I have just come, I've come to terms with the fact that you always have to give something up. So figure out what that chunk is you're willing to give up and then stop stressing about it at that point. You make the decision gives you the highest odds of possible success, gives you the best, um, you know, gives you confidence in your setup. And then at that point, you, you put your cards on the table and see what they are and see what happens. Um, and you roll with it. But I, um, I love that, that you got to give some, not that you have to, but inevitably you're going to give something up. It's common, It's yeah. kind of like, I remember when I was young, I'd play Call of Duty, right? And you, you, you add something, but then you take away. You add accuracy, but then you lose speed or, or yeah. whatever, right? There's always some yeah. balancing act that's happening there when you're hunting. I like that analogy. Yeah, man, that's that is always always the case, and I've 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 definitely come to kind of look at every day of hunting as a litmus test in decision making, weighing odds, rank risk risk versus reward, looking at all these different things that could possibly be in your favor or not. Uh, try to analyze probabilities and um it's for for a nerd like me that's kind of a fun part of it but um but if you get as much information as possible we'll never have it all right you can you can study and scout and watch and take all of your historical knowledge of an area and uh, you're still not going to have everything on the table you're, you're not going to be playing chess you can't see all the pieces but you can get as many as possible and then you have to make that that decision based off it, and then, and then roll. And then the second most thing is being able to iterate after that. So you gotta put your cards out there, see what happens, and then quickly adjust so that the next day, or the next hunt, you can adjust based off that observation, or based off the fact that you didn't see anything, or based off the fact that when you went in, you saw tracks, but there was no deer in the daylight. You always have to then ask the why. Why did this thing happen? Why did I not see anything? why did that deer come out but then he shifted and walked 100 yards away um that's that that whole idea applies to the entire hunting season but it begins in the early season and what i've slowly been learning is that i need to from day one my very first hunt constantly be 
looking at what happened, looking at what I saw, and, and making sure I'm, I'm approaching my hunt with very open eyes, and not just not just getting out there and watching my hunt unfold, but seeing it all, taking it in and digesting it, and doing something with that information. It's not just a, a movie I'm watching. I'm trying to take all this in and use it for the future. Um, so that's something I'd say could be helpful in the early season, but uh, man, use that at the beginning of a snowball that rolls through the entire year. All right, that uh, concludes the early season kind of uh, content drop, knowledge, nuggets, whatever you want to call them. Hopefully that's helpful for you and your strategy as you approach the season. It's right around the corner. For some, it's already opened up for some velvet season stuff. So good luck, everybody. Shoot straight. Never pass on that shooter buck. And uh, remember this year, no deer shame. If you see any deer shaming going on, please use the hashtag no buck shame and tag us and we will kill them with kindness that's our approach here, and we will sick the okayest army on them, the nation of okayest hunters. Uh, that's what I got for everybody for this week. If you like this episode and the podcast overall, please uh, head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review so we can see how we're doing. And then we'll be back uh, to normal operating procedures on, let's see here, that'll be Tuesday, September 14th. We'll be back live, taking calls, having a good time. And uh, don't forget, if you call into the show while we're live on Tuesdays, the phone number is 262-757-4122. You'll be entered into a drawing to win some OKS Hunter swag. I think we took, I don't know, four or five callers uh, on today's show, which is the 31st of August. So uh, ready building that bank of, of winners. And First Gen Outdoors was our winner. Uh, Greg uh, Morgan, I believe, is the winner for a new Beer Camp t-shirt. So, all right, buddy. Uh, buddy. <laughs> I feel like I'm on the uh, call with just uh, anybody here, uh, just a, a random friend. Well, I hope everyone has a great night, a great day, a great morning, a great week, wherever you are, where you're listening, whatever day of the week it is. Enjoy it. Have fun. And uh, tune back in for more.